Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Episode 10 of the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. You're listening to the London is Blue fan cast, where we cover all of the important topics in the EPL. Chelsea. No, seriously, that's it. That's all that matters. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. This is week 10 of the London is Blue podcast. As always, I'm joined by Nick and Dan, and we will be covering this week's match against QPR, as well as the previous week's match, again, the Capital One Cup against Shrewsbury Town. Dan, Nick, it's been an eventful week. How have you taken it all in? Dan, we'll start with you. Oh, unlike a a week of draws last week, it's a week of victories. So I guess we can be a little bit more celebratory. Yeah, I mean, whenever you play Strawberry Town, I feel like the mood lightens and you you feel a little bit happier inside. Well, with Strawberry Fields forever. You know, Shrewsbury Town and being the Shrews isn't very intimidating, but what's less intimidating are being strawberries. So thank you, Eden Hazard, for yet another moment of brilliance <laughs> that you can write off to not really speaking English. I mean, come on. At this point, like, you just need to know how to say Shrewsbury Town. But Strawberry Town it is. Let's get into it. Definitely. 
as we have alluded to, Chelsea played Shrewsbury Town, a League Two team in the Capital One Cup last week. It was played at the New Meadows Stadium in front of a massive, rocking 10,000 people. The final score was Chelsea 2, Shrewsbury 1. And on the predictions, I was at 2 nothing. Dan was at 3 nothing, and Nick, the bold, <laughs> bold Nick, predicted 7 nothing with a Salah hat trick. Instead of a hat trick in goals, I think he had a hat trick of shots that went up for throw-ins. So what you're saying is that this prediction of mine was not necessarily my most accurate. No, not not considering the high that you've been writing when it comes to predictions so far. <laughs> it was as close to Salah got to goal is, is similar to your prediction. It's, it's valid. Uh, I, I will say this, and... I don't know if it's just heavy legs or, or what uh, what have you, but to not beat Shrewsbury Town uh, a little more convincingly than, than 2-1, uh, especially with the quality or the gap in quality, uh, a, a smidge alarming to me. I don't know how you guys felt. Well, I think you saw a different lineup. You know, I think we kind of you know, running through that, you know, you got a little bit of, you know, Mikel, there's some Oscar, there's Aki, Christensen, Zuma, Cahill. Like, I mean, there, it, it was not the lineup that we've seen, you know, so far this season. It was, you know, uh, a 4-2-3-1 that we've been running, but just, you know, the, the casting was almost completely different. And I think that probably led to, you know, it not being as fluid of play as we've been used to this season, even against what we would consider a, a lesser side in competitive quality. You know, I predicted that last week. I said, if you're going to make five, six changes to a lineup, you're just going to lose some fluidity, and I think that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, we, don't forget to we, give uh, virtual pats on the back to Brandon for that as well. Yeah, tap, tap, tap. Uh, I, look, here's my problem, and, and I might I might just be over-exaggerating this, and that's totally fine. Someone can can give me a virtual slap to the to the face, but... For me, you know, even with you know new, uh, you know, a new lineup and a little bit of a, a different formation, it came out a little bit different uh, with our holding midfielders and whatnot. But there has to be, you know, the, it, it didn't feel like as a as professional as a performance as it should have been, and uh, it, it almost seemed to me like, you know, when Drogba scored, that everyone just kind of relaxed and. You know, there it is again. You know, it's one of these deals where if we go up 1-0, it almost is inevitable that the other team will go down at the other end and score within 10 minutes. That is exactly what happened in this match um, as far as the team playing. You had a lot of young faces, and you saw Sala break. We saw Sherla break over and over, but you just kind of looked like they were waiting for Big Brother Drogba to lead the way and show them how to do it because they still looked like they had young legs on them. Uh, you know, Chelsea did dominate possession at 69%. No shortage of shots. There were 14 shots, five on goal. Um, Man, and I between, between Sala and Sherla, I mean, the amount of... You know, and I, I'm not saying these were either world-class players. I think Sherlock's closer than than Salah is to being world-class, but how? I, I think they both kind of regressed this year, and and t- 
to not be able to put balls on goal consistently, to put shots on goal consistently, to me is is a little bit a little bit troubling. And I don't know, you know, maybe Sherlock's just going through one of those phases, but but Sala needs to to get it together or else he won't be around in January. Well, I think the challenge for Sala too is he he has to think about the amount of minutes that he's getting to show off his talents and you know he's going to have such a small sample size to do well and with continued performances like that I think that you know, he will he will not be long for this world uh, at least for wearing Chelsea blue uh, to your point Nick if he doesn't show up on the games that he's called up to actually be part of the lineup well if you take a look at Salah's performance in this game you know, I can understand the lack of experience, the lack of minutes played, but what troubled me was he essentially did the same thing the entire game to not really any success. He would beat the man line and then cut back to his left foot, and then he was on an island because he clearly wasn't able to shoot with his left, couldn't really put in a cross with his left, but he just consistently went back to that, and it was just dead end after dead end. And that's where I was waiting for him to just do something different, be more creative than that. And it, it just didn't really form for me. Yeah, I mean, and I think the other point to this is that, you know, a guy like Hazard, who, you know, if he, if he gets into a bit of a rut, you know, can figure out a way to beat someone, you know, either from a standstill or, you know, through a dribble or a pass and move. It doesn't seem like Sala is on the same wavelength as the other players on the pitch. He doesn't really get their movements. He doesn't really know when to to make a move or, or when to take someone on. Uh, it, it seems very uh, I don't know disjointed. And I don't know what they do in training. I mean, I wish I was there every day. That would be amazing. But uh, you know, there has to be some disconnect in training too. If uh, you know this kind of performance happens against a League Two side, we said this. Last week, these these guys were 71 places lower in, in English football than Chelsea. There's really, you know, and I get the competitive spirit of the FA, or the Capital One Cup, not the FA Cup, but there there can't be this type of performance. Yeah, what I would say, though, is I think it's very easy for, and you'll read it on blogs on Twitter, uh, from the, the Chelsea faithful who are more than happy to schlack Shala for, uh, for Salah for uh, bad performance, but... You know, I think getting to see Aki play and then uh, Christensen play was probably the best part of watching that match because both of them added um, some good value, got to see some great youth players engaged in the match, and you know, got me excited for getting to see them You know, hopefully added to the lineup at, at, in a longer extent and longer form in the future. What about my boy Bor Jogba, too? I mean, another goal in 48 hours removed from Manchester United. I mean... That his performance, he played 90 again. Um, just the the guy's ageless, and you can start to see that goal spark is getting back into him. And even though he he basically tapped in a, a, a little sitter, um, you know we need we need him desperately right now. Uh, no one knows really the extent of of Remy's injury. He's kind of been played by injuries in his career as well as Costa. And um, again, man, uh, he's he's coming back in a big way. Well, you know, expanding on those two points, we can look at this. Drogba has now, uh, in the Shrewsbury game, 
three goals in three games. He scored against Marbor the penalty. He scored against Man United, and now he's scored against Shrewsbury. So definitely a good run of form for Drogba, and I think that um, he's definitely regaining glimpses of the Drogba past. So that will hugely help Chelsea if we can actually have three strikers eventually at some point in this season um, to really add that depth and the reliability. Now the other thing, back to the point with Ake playing, I think it's quite obvious that he outplayed Mikel head and shoulders above that level because Mikel looked like he was the rookie in the midfield today. Well, I think Mikel is the individual who has to take direction, and I think what we saw with Aki is he was able to... Uh, I, I don't know, I thought he was more creative with a little bit of the link-up play and the, the passing that he had. Yeah, I think that the majority... Where do the people agree with that? But, you know, wrapping this one up, it's been a while. Chelsea, as you all probably know, will be playing Derby County in the next round of the Capital One Cup. So the good news is we've got more games to play. More players will get game time, minutes. Uh, we'll be able to shuffle around the squad a little bit and keep people fresh. So um, any other thoughts on the, on the match? I would say that if people don't know, Derby County is actually uh, you know top of the, uh, the next lower league. So something to keep in mind that this is not a, a walk-in-the-park kind of game. This is a side that is looking to get promoted and is going to want to come in and really just you know make us look foolish if they can. And I'm pretty sure Derby County were winning or losing their last game like a goal or two, and they had a huge comeback late in the second half to put two or three in to get... Uh, the win and move on. So there's definitely fighting spirit with them. All right, on to the Premier League action. Yesterday, Saturday, Chelsea take on uh, yet another London rival with Queen's Park Rangers. The match is at Stamford Bridge, and the referee is Mike Jones. Uh, Scoreline, Chelsea 2, QPR 1. And it uh, is a lovely scoreline this week. Dan comes out on top, nails it, kind of with the prediction of 2-1, to one, but you did say that there would be a late goal, and I don't think you can really say that was a late goal. Well, I mean, it happened over halfway through the match, so that's, it's kind of late. That's, no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no. Nick's just upset that he didn't get it right this week. That is true. Nick came in with a 2 nothing prediction, and my prediction was 3-1 to one with Ferdinand being sent off, but, you know, if you were off, I was even more off, because the FA banned Ferdinand before we even got to the game. Well, he, he was sent off for his thoughts and his words on Twitter, so I think that that was a astute and accurate uh, telling from the tea leaves there, friend. Oh, Rio. <laughs> poor, poor little guy. Yeah, you know, Twitter's going to maybe end his career sooner than what he thought, but uh, a shout-out to our very first We Ain't Got No Histories uh, score prediction. We uh, asked you guys last week to put your score predictions in the comments, and we would shout out uh, the winner. And this week, um, their username is We Ain't Got No Histories Resident Sesk and Drog Expert. So shout out to you, and you can share the last place trophy with Nick with your prediction of two nothing. Hey, whoever whoever that is, you're a good person, and we're gonna win next week. Just keep. Keep listening to me. I'm still way top of the table. All right, all right. Well, Dan, you know, you have the opposite feeling. You are riding high in this week's victory, so we will let you uh, bring us into this match. Well, we had a, a nice chance to 
welcome back, uh, Diego. We kind of obviously got back to our traditional lineup that we've seen with the uh, the four two three one at uh, Diego up front. We got to see Oscar in the the midfield, which was uh, quite wonderful. We had Hazard as well, Fabregas, Matic, uh, Terry Cahill, Vanovich. We got a uh, Luis as well with Aspilicueta still on that red. Again, Courtois as well. And we ended up uh, winning 2-1, which is what we detest, and uh, it was a great feeling. Yeah, and then we had some substitute appearances in the second half. Drogba came on for Willian in the 64th minute. Sherlock came on for Acosta in the 78th minute. And Ramirez, who is now back from injury, uh, got to play out the game uh, in stoppage time, and he came on for Hazard. Yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, it is, you know, for you can say what you want about Ramirez, and he might not be here in January. Who knows? But um, Ramirez is is a player that is very very important for the midfield, especially on those days where we want uh, Sesk to play the uh, the number ten role. Uh, to have his uh, steel and speed in midfield and to be that pivot man is is massive. So it's very good to see him back. You know, I think it'll be really interesting. I kind of forgot about Ramirez because I got so comfortable with just having Fabregas and Matic at the holding center mids. But like you allude to, if you can put Ramirez next to Matic and put Sesk up in the, in, in the number, you know, or right behind the forward sitting in, um, that could that could be even more lethal than what we've seen. So, well, that, I think that's that's our defensive more a more defensive lineup than than what we've been running with. I mean. I, all credit to Sask on his on his defensive responsibilities and the way he's tracking back. Um, that's naturally not his game, uh, and I know that he's doing a great job of it. Um, but for for the days where we need to put him a little farther up to create something against uh, teams who are parking the bus against us, Ramirez provides a nice switch up in midfield. And uh, you know, I want him to stay healthy and not you know accumulate yellow cards and, and get sent off in games. So let's let's hope that continues. Uh, you're you're definitely hoping for a lot there. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Well, looking at the statistics from this game, Chelsea outshot QPR fifteen to three. And a little depressing is QPR only had one shot on goal and it went in. Chelsea, on the other hand, were able to put eight on target and got two out of them. So we'll see. Chelsea dominated. They had thirteen corner kicks in this game. I think they had three in the first two minutes at least because they had three back to back to back. Um and QPR only had two. Other than that, uh, you know, QPR with 40 clearances, that is a ton. You can just tell that the pressure was never ending on this one. Um, I want to kind of point out a couple of, I don't know what you can call it, team chemistry aspects and get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, Chelsea's possession was 65%, which is impressive, but... The top pass combination was Felipe Luis to Hazard. And in the past, it has been Dave to Hazard. So, you know, looking at that as a standpoint, would you say that we are more naturally going to go down the left side now just because Hazard is such a great outlet? It's weird uh, because Hazard kind of, he flips sometimes. I think that depending on the situation and, and how the game is flowing, Mourinho will will move him inside or, or move him out to the right, depending on on situation. So um, it, it's not surprising because I think you know Felipe Luis is a little more naturally left. You know, he's obviously a left-footed player and um, can play a little bit more down the line, whereas Dave is um, 
a right-footed player. So um, I, it's a little, it's a little different. Uh, I think that when Felipe Luis in the game has our stays out a little wider, um, which might be providing some balance on the field. So one thing that I've noticed is that Hazard seems to be tracking back to get the ball more. And I think last season we looked to play him over the top and in behind defenses more often. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's kind of exciting to see uh, Hazard get the ball in midfield, run at some people, either beat them or suck them in, lay it off, continue his run, and then he gets the ball later in the, as the play develops. So I think for me, that's something that I've seen us kind of evolve and u- be able to use Hazard uh, and in a more possession-style fashion rather than, hey, you're quick, we're just going to dump it long and you go get it. That's a nice evolution of his game as well, the fact that he is, is not giving up on the defensive end of the game, but actually you kind of talk about to the tracking back piece and, you know, with Costa up front as well, you know, it gives him that opportunity then to know that there's going to be someone up for him to either connect with or that's going to be sucking some of the attention away, which then also releases, you know, one or two players tracking back to get on Diego. So that way Hazard is not getting multiple marked in the middle of the fields as much as he was last season. Yeah, and then the next thing I wanted to point out was that um, our midfield, we know how phenomenal Matic and Fabregas have been, but just to point out, so... Fabregas was involved in five of the top six pass combinations, and Matic was involved in three of the top seven. And unsurprisingly, Matic to Fabregas and Fabregas to Matic were also in the top seven. And I think that that just goes to show you that those two are just bossing the midfield um, and just a two-man wrecking crew. They are playing with an incredible amount of chemistry, and... Uh, I'm going to throw something out there, and I, it might sound crazy uh, to people, but uh, as, a, as a lover of a central defensive midfielder, I think that Nemanja Matic is the most irreplaceable player on Chelsea's squad right now. If he were to go down injured or if, um, or if something happened, he got carded, I think that Ramirez could fill in that role, Ake could fill in that role, Mikel could fill in that role. The way he's playing is is Yaya Toure esque, and he provides a little something extra than your standard, you know, central defensive midfielder. He gets involved in attacks. He he tracks back. I mean, he, there are times where he is almost playing center back, and then will make this long galloping run and and set everyone up for success. And I I am not I'm not saying that he's our best player, but I you know from that perspective, I would love to to be challenged on if he could be replaced. Yeah, and you talk about galloping. That you know, he's one of the only players that if you're not in, you know, intently watching the screen or you're watching it from far away, that just because of the the motion of his body, you can tell that it's it, you can always tell when it's managed versus any other player on our team. Yep, 100%. you know, I would almost use the word marauding. I mean, that guy goes out just hunting that ball. Uh, and I think you're right, Nick, in the sense that as far as not be, being the most valuable but being the most irreplaceable is pretty accurate. Like, like we talked about in the Shrewsbury Town game, you know, Ake stepped up. But you can only expect so much out of him. And we saw Mikel not do great. And we know that Ramirez still does give us liability. So without a doubt, I think that we've still been able to score without Costa. We've still been able to create without, create without Hazard. So, you know, in the end, right now, 
uh, he is definitely the anchor to that midfield, uh, which we live and die on. So, I mean, I would back that up, and I would enjoy hearing some comments from you guys and, you know, what you think is who is the most irreplaceable player for Chelsea right now. And that's and that's saying a lot. I want that to be a huge compliment to him and not, not a detraction to other players. I think that when you look at John Terry, it's really hard to replace John Terry. It's really hard to replace, you know, Brennan Slavovanovic or... Um, you know, Fabregas or Costa. I mean, these are. I mean, this is a team filled with stars. But um, the way the game flows and the way this team is playing right now, uh, he provides a certain amount of steel and a certain amount of finesse that is rare in a central defensive midfielder. So that's all I'm saying. So have at me. Tell me I'm wrong. All right. Well, the last stat we'll throw out there is that Chelsea were just camped in QPR's defensive third, and Modic was definitely a crucial part, um, a, a part of connecting 206 passes just God. in their attacking third. So Chelsea strung together 206 passes while attacking. That is ins- I mean, that's that it's is like, very impressive. It's like lights on a Christmas tree. They keep just unraveling. The, the strands and putting them together and then when you think you're done they just plug in another set and they keep on going and you just have this massive you, you've essentially put all the lights on the Rockefeller tree let so, me go let me go ahead and one up that statistic QPR completed 223 passes the entire game I mean I, that can't really be that surprising I mean so, QPR so you got that to chew on, uh, Chelsea fans. Uh, dominant uh, performance, you know, definitely. Uh, going over the goals real quick, Oscar assist from Fabregas in the 32nd minute, and the only way to break this down is just, are, are you kidding me? I mean, I mean that, that was unreal. What? It was so pretty. I mean, it was, it was so, so, so pretty, and uh, you, you know it's good. Uh, when a former defender, we have uh, the NBC Sports commentary, uh, a former defender, former Arsenal defender, I won't even give him a name. It's not worth it. But wax poetic about this goal for almost five minutes on broadcast. Uh, it was it was simply astounding, and, and the pass was, was almost as good as the shot. The shot is only something that I think Oscar on this team has the balls to try, uh, and it was... Perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Wow. Yeah, I was impressed with the ability of Fabregas to, um, you know, him and Costa combined at the top of the box, but then Fabregas took it right at the heart of the defense and three defenders from QPR sucked in. He drew three defenders, and it was a simple layoff to Oscar, but I tell you what, the finish was anything but simple. Uh, Outside of the right foot, just pure class finish. Well, and it shows to me that he's done that before and was confident enough on that foot, on his right foot, to just smash it. And for those who, you know, might uh, might not be on the Oscar bandwagon yet, I've been there for quite a while, uh, this is something, you know, when people are wondering why, you know, he's you know not necessarily playing a number 10 role but is still involved in that general area, that is why the guy has an incredible nose for goal. I mean, an absolutely incredible technique. Well, and you know, you think about it too. And, and they did the little post-game interview with him on uh, Chelsea TV, and they were talking about the goals that he enjoyed scoring the most. And 
There was Juventus goal. There was a Shakhtar goal. And we'll, we'll tweet those out if you haven't had the privilege to watch those. But I mean, this is up here with probably his top three goals that he scored for us uh, in our organization. And he was quoted as saying, "You know, it, Sex passed me the to pass me the ball, and you know, I just thought I should shoot." And you know, that's the type of confidence you want from you know, attacking midfielder just to come up and you know link up so well with uh, Fabregas. And shoot, he did. And I tell you what, thank God because you know Chelsea just couldn't seem to get that final uh, ball in or that final shot off. So thankfully, we rode that Oscar train to halftime uh, and ended up one nothing. Probably could have been about three or four, but it just it just wasn't falling. So halftime came around, and unfortunately, QPR were the next team to, uh, you know, get on the score sheet. It's it's the late concede they had. No, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not letting you get away with that one this week. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen this goal, uh, it was basically uh, a punch out from Coutois, um on a, a long ball. Uh, fell to Leroy Fair, who tried to volley it, and much like a lot of QPR players trying to volley, scuffed it. And uh, Charlie Austin was in the box, backheeled it. Uh, clever finish. I mean, it really was a, a clever finish. He meant to do it. Uh, kind of caught Coutois uh, wrong-footed and uh, ended up in the back of the net. I mean, it was uh, a very poor goal to give up. I, I think the punch could have been a little bit better and, and Brandon, you could probably talk to that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it was, it was an awkward ball for Courtois to deal with, but you know, his punch went to the top of the box and I think you know, more than that, I was surprised that there was no one around. You know, Chelsea are so good at having layers and he got caught flat and no one was able to step to that ball. Ivanovic was closest, but he was kind of ball watching. I mean, Terry was near it as well, too. And so, you I mean, you had, you had individuals who, you know, should have been marking in that area to, you know, be available to assist when necessary. And it's just like, oh, I, I don't know, I, I feel like some of the goals that we've given up, there's been that island, you know, and obviously that's the, the risk you take when you're running a more offensive type of game where you're trying to push to, to score the goal is that you might leave you know, one or two less players far as far back as you'd like. So it's it's the risk-reward game that we're playing right now with attempting to, to score as much as we'd like. Yeah, it looked like the majority of our players had sunk all the way back into the six, and you just didn't have anyone else uh, covering, you know, PK spottish, and and that's what came to it. But, you know, for all you Nordic fans and our other American fans, this was such a classic hockey goal. Um, hockey season has started up in the NHL, so I live in Minnesota by no other reason than I have to. I was watching hockey this weekend, and I just laugh because it's a typical post up in front of the goalie, shoot it on frame and let someone deflect it or just you know uh, blind the goalie, and that's exactly what happened. It was a scrappy, scrappy goal. Well, and then we got to wait uh, about 13 more minutes, and then... We finally got uh, to breathe a sigh of relief when Hazard was fouled and got the chance to continue his run of notching in penalties like he is their boss. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, so let's, I mean, backtrack a little bit. Um, the penalty itself uh, was interesting to me. It, it was an interesting call. It was kind of, 
uh, you know, again, we had, we had settled back into, you know, controlling possession. Uh, Hazard goes on one of his darting runs uh, with the ball, running at defenders. He, he had barely entered um, uh, the 18-yard box uh, on, on the left side. Uh, and and got clipped and it was it was a weird it, at first when I watched it live it looked like it was uh, shoulder to shoulder um, and that Hazard went down really easy upon replay I mean it was a little more convincing than it was a penalty to me um, it, it, I don't know it, it was I think Hazard goes at such a high rate of speed that when he does get knocked off the ball a little bit that he goes flying and I think that helps sell it a little bit more. Um, it wasn't as conclusive as other penalties we've had this year. I'll put it that way, but uh, he is an absolute boss at, at penalty case. There's no other way to put it. When you're talking about Hazard's run, and you know, I noted that we are just getting spoiled by these runs inside the box. You know, whether he draws a penalty or he just beats the entire defense and scores, um, it is such a luxury that Chelsea are afforded right now. And what makes it so dangerous is that he goes at such a high rate of speed, like you said, Nick, is that defenders don't have any time to react. They just have to kind of say, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick my leg in now, or I'm going to run across him now. And you just have to hope that you time it perfectly because he gives you like a split second to make your decision. And if it's wrong, you're going to pay for it, and that's exactly what happened uh, for Vargas in QPR? You know, it's what you it's what you wanted to happen last week in Man United, where you wanted him to keep on running at the defenders to get them to, to foul, so that you knock one out of the game potentially with a yellow and go on to second red, and it just didn't happen. And I think you know, we're, as we weren't rewarded for that, and we were rewarded in this game for the the benefit of the doubt on that penalty. I think I think the more important point with with Hazard this year, and and you see it evolving, you know, even week to week, is that uh, for me, uh, he is elevating his game, um, and it's it's not just due to the players around him. Obviously, the the cast of characters has improved, and and he is being played um, in with world class types of passes from you know Cesc Fabregas and Oscar and the like, but. Uh, he is raising his game. He's going. It, it, to me, it, it appears like the effort level is even increased, but the technical ability is starting to shine through, and and you start to see uh, just little glimpses here and there of you know a Ronaldo or Messi type of player coming into his own, and and in, in the Premier League, no doubt, it, you know it's a little tougher than than other leagues in the world, but. You start to see that, and, and what I really want to see by by season's end is that he kind of grabs the mantle from from Sask or from Oscar or from Diego Costa and says, "No, this is I am the best player on this team, and I am going to show it week in week out. Um, nobody can compete with my lateral movement. Nobody can compete with my speed. You know, I'm going to take players on. I'm going to get great shots on goal." Uh, and that's what I would love to see from him by the end of the year because he has it in him, and there's no doubt about that for many of us. I would agree uh, 100%. I think what we're starting to see now is he's definitely growing into that role, and he's consistent, and that's what hasn't happened the last couple of years is he hasn't necessarily been consistent, and I think we're starting to see that, and that's exactly uh, – is 
what will propel him to the next level of um, becoming one of the best players, uh, if not the best player on Chelsea, and then even in England and then Europe. And that's the uh, that's exactly the progression that it's going to take. So I'm excited to see that as well. All right, so getting into some of the talking points going into the game, I think that there was uh, you know, definitely some interesting stuff. The big one was, is Diego Costa going to make a full recovery to play? Uh, he has not um, played for Chelsea since returning from Spain duty. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we could beat the dead horse placenta on this, but I think that uh, his, his injury isn't going away, and uh, you could the way the way he played was fine. There there didn't seem to be any um, any glaring uh, differences in in his work rate or anything like that during the match. But you could tell when he was walking off to get subbed um, that you know he's limping a little bit. You know this he didn't look as fresh as he as he has it at the end of other games this season. And and I I wonder you know if if he gets called into the Spanish team in November, does he go? Um, I, I would, I would say that Jose Mourinho would have a huge role to play in, in whatever decision that is. Yeah, you know, you definitely saw some of the the runs that we've gotten accustomed to seeing. And I remember two specifically where he just, you know, was motoring down the field, and so you you saw the the pace that you wanted from him and he was definitely also making the the backtracking as well for some of the defensive elements. Um, didn't look like he had any type of take-ons that had to occur, so we, we didn't necessarily get to see that, but I mean, it, you know, the the reporting is and we we saw some we got no history this week. There's an article talking about you know, does he need, you know, surgery to potentially fix the the issue and you know what the timetable is for that, you know, is it a four, five, six-week, uh, eight-week recovery period, and when does it happen? Does it happen in the season and we kind of nurse or maintain him, or do we have him wait until after the season to uh, to attempt the surgery to help fully fix the, the hamstring issue he's running into? It'll definitely be a, a week-in, week-out um, decision, having to figure out exactly what, uh, you know, what has happened, how he's holding up physically, so it's it will be the, um, you know, the the success of the season if Mourinho is able to balance and keep Costa in the lineup every week. I think that would be a huge, huge uh, resume booster for Jose's already impressive uh, career. Yeah, I think it's very similar to. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say our fortunes are necessarily, you know, a hundred percent tied to it, but I think similarly. You know, Man City has the same thing with Aguero, with you know his injury background. Is that you're you're running into two teams that are vying for the title, and both of them are very reliant upon a striker that has a a checkered past when it comes to the the strength and resiliency of them. Yeah, and and on the question of should he have surgery, I mean, that's only for a doctor to say. But uh, man, it, to me. It would have to come in January uh, because uh, you know the the timeout that's being projected is around six weeks uh, for the type of, of injury he has. So he'd be out six weeks, and then it would take him you know to to get ramped up. I mean, we'd have to go buy another striker in January if he was to have surgery. So I mean, it's it's not an easy question, and 
the thing that is interesting to me is that he didn't elect to have surgery when he came back from the World Cup. Uh, he clearly wasn't healthy playing in the World Cup, and uh, that would have been kind of an ideal time to, to get the issue taken care of. But I think he wanted to rest it and, and you know, obviously started the season on fire, but you wonder if he can keep it going. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what Diego Costa will provide. Uh, definitely, again, it'll be a week-to-week uh, situation to monitor. But uh, you know, also another point was Dave was sitting out his final match for his red card. Um, and my question is, you know, we've now seen Felipe Luis play, you know, quite a few minutes. Um, is Dave going to jump right back in the lineup, or has Luis done enough to secure it? I I am uh, I'm old school when it comes to this, so I might get a few a few comments in the comment section of our post on we ain't got no history, but I don't think you you lose your place due to injury or suspension. You know, I think that he started the season, started almost every match um, up to his suspension. I think there was a a Capital One Cup game in there that he didn't start, and he hasn't hasn't started a match since his uh, suspension, but. Uh, I don't think that he should lose his place. I think he's still a little bit better than Felipe Luis in defense and will probably come right back into the team. Um, it depends uh, how he how he's training, obviously, but uh, that would be my preference. I, I think that you know the way he's played over the last year and a half has been outstanding. You know, I, I think we definitely probably see him back in. You know, we get him in Maribor, and then you know you get the option uh, in Liverpool match to, to place him there. And I, I would want to see us continue rolling with him, if only to see you know what the, the potential unlocking we get from having a, a true left back, a left back. You know, we saw what we, we got out of Hazard the, the past you know, couple matches with what that link-up play can be. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's an exciting option. It's not going to be as strong I think as Dave is. You just slot him back in there. There's a rapport that's built up with the, the players, but and if there's any time to experiment a little bit, uh, I, I would you know choose to do it now versus later. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Felipe Luis is, I would say he's had a bit of a roller coaster ride with this stretch of games. I think that he's shown uh, his ability to attack. I would hope that his crossing would be a little more consistent. I think that we've seen some uh, phenomenal service into the box, and some other times we've seen some just very poor service into the box. So we'll see. I'm 50-50 on it. Um, I think that, you know, like Dan, you said, we've got uh, a healthy amount of games coming up with Marabor, um, you know, before you get back into action with Liverpool. So, you know, maybe you throw him in against Marbor, see how he does, let him get his legs back into him, and then you know Felipe Luis is ready if you need, uh, and you just kind of play it that way. But, um, you know, it definitely is a, a fair statement, and we've seen a lot definitely in American sports. Nick, like you say, it, you know, you don't lose your spot due to circumstances that aren't your fault. If it's not a performance issue, then, you know, that's a then you're back in. And we've definitely seen that a lot in American sports. So I don't know. I, I'm really interested interested to see how Jose handles it, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, either way, personally. So another kind of interesting thing that had, um, that had me confused was if you guys remember the kickoff to the game, QPR 
started with the ball, and they literally touched it forward per the rules, and then just whacked it long. And it rolled right to Courtois. I mean, there was no one within 20 yards of this. And, you know, I played, and I'm sure we all play enough to know that you practice this because you know you're going to do it at least once a game. And I just cannot imagine that Ari Redknapp took him out and said, all right, boys, we're going to go play the top of the league. We're going to play Chelsea. I want you to drop it back, and you're just going to smash it to their goalie, and then we'll play. Just seems uh, ridiculous. It was a little befuddling. I I didn't understand. I mean, Charlie Austin's not fast, so there's no way he could have got down there uh, at all in time to to try and receive the ball. And then, to me, it was uh, like they wanted Hoylet to get down uh, on the left-hand side, but the pass was in the middle of the field. Uh, It was very confusing, but they're not a good football team, so it totally makes sense when you think about it. Oh, it's like in, in FIFA, sometimes you'll lob the ball up to see what happens, and you know somehow the, the AI glitches in just that moment, and you end up with a goal that you never should have gotten. And you know when you're, when you're facing a team against all odds, you try some crazy-ass shit to see if it'll work. <laughs> well, I mean, this isn't exactly the, uh, the kickoff glitch in FIFA 14, but I think the, the big difference would be uh, John Terry and Cahill against uh, computer intelligence. But to me, this is just, you know, as we start to look at the beginning of the game, I just looked at it and said, oh, man, this is going to be a long day. If QPR don't even want the ball off the kickoff, like, what are we going to be doing in the 70th minute when they're just 10-man, you know, wall in front of the goal? So, I don't know. I think it was interesting. Personally, you know, I think Chelsea played really, really well. I thought we possessed, we were direct, we attacked. Um, The statistics back that up as well, but you know, we just couldn't really get the final shot off or that final pass or that final touch to set us up. And I, you know, I don't know. I just kind of want to hear what you guys thought about that, you know, in one of those games where Chelsea dominates, but we still kind of had to struggle to get that win. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take first off here. and uh, it, Unfortunately, it's continuing a trend uh, that I talked about last week, which is uh, I don't know what William is good at. I know that he's a good footballer. I know that he has tons of talent. I watched him in this match um, going up against sub subpar talent, and he just never seemed to connect with any of the players on the pitch. Um, it, to me, it, it kind of seemed uh, disjointed from him. And then, obviously, I think the second big point is that we, there was, besides Oscar's ballsiness, there was a real reluctance to... I know, run at defenders and, and just smash some shots and, and see what Rob Green can, can do. I know we had 15 shots, but it felt to me like the way the performance went, the amount of ball the, the amount of the ball that we had in, in their uh, final third that you know, sometimes you just got to let them rip and, and hope for a good deflection and for a poacher like Costa to be on the end of one of them. So I, I don't know. It, it, was, it was a dominant performance without being a dominant scoreline. Yeah, I think there. You know, you talk about struggling too. I thought there were, there were times where, you know, Cahill looked a little a little befuddled in the back. You know, there, there were one or two really good challenges, but also points in time where he just, you know, didn't seem connected with the the overall performance. And you know, I think if you kind of flip it around, you know, Oscar and Hazard, you know, definitely led the way for us in terms of you know the the class and performance that we were. Hoping for it didn't convert. I think as much as we would have hoped to the point you're making, Nick. But 
and definitely gave us a, a really nice, you know, dice moments throughout a rather uh, not as exciting of a game as we hoped it would have been. I think that in the end, Chelsea did show that they've got the extra gear, they've got the extra options to grind out and find a way to win in these matches that it was definitely lacking last season. I think everyone will agree with that. And, you know, I guess in the end, it, even if it wasn't pretty and the teams were, you know, struggling to kind of get it, you know, still found a way. And I think that is a big difference between last year and this year. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, re- really great to see um, as far as a, an entire 90-minute performance. Uh, somebody who was unable to have a 90-minute performance was Joey Barton, the captain for QPR. Um, he actually did not even get into the match. I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter because Joey Barton is essentially as active on Twitter as Rio Ferdinand, if not more. Not necessarily and a good thing, by the way. <laughs> he tweeted that uh, he was actually unable to even get into the game. So he ended up going to the Derby County match, a championship game instead. Well, it's always nice to get a day off from work, right? You know, get to stretch your legs, leave the office, and, and how does you know, your do the does finer your, things in life? How does your captain not make it into the stadium? Like, uh, you know, and obviously this is a rivalry, you know, a big time London derby match, but uh, you know th- that almost seems a little too cheeky from Chelsea's grounds uh, grounds crew. Well, I mean, they're gonna have their administrators. They're gonna submit lists. I'm sure they have a guest list. And for whatever reason, Mr. Joey Barton was left off that list. And they said, look, you can't get into this private entrance because this is reserved. If you want, the ticket box is around the corner. We have some lovely seats in the shed end. Maybe you would like to try the Matthew Harding end. And I'm sure he was like, there's no way that's happening. I'm going to go to Derby County. That would have been hilarious, though. I will say that would have showed me a whole new side of Joey Barton if he would have sat there. <laughs> that would have been a ballsy performance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he would have probably been the highest-rated QPR player if he would have done that. <laughs> That'd be man, of the, man of the match. <laughs> so uh, I just want to kind of run down some fast facts of this game. There were some interesting things, and I think that... Uh, um, don't worry, we were able to get an Arsenal jab in as well, so here we go. Uh, Jose Mourinho is undefeated against any and all of Harry Redknapp's different teams. Uh, I believe it's 6-0. and Oscar has now scored three and assisted two in his last six games. That would be um, defined as phenomenal form. Fabregas has one goal and nine assists in Chelsea's first ten games. So that is you know, a direct impact on a goal in every single game this season, which is that that is already as many assists for Fabregas this season as Ozil had the entire last season. Or or 25% of the way done as well. So there's that. Hazard is 8-for-8 on penalty kicks all time in the Premier League. I think he's definitely cemented himself as the number one choice in the spot kick area. And... Uh, yeah, no, that's it. That's what I've got. What do you guys think? Well, I know that Mourinho was not very pleased that Hazard let Drogba take a penalty against Maribor. So um, it was it was good to see him step up with confidence and, and obviously uh, delicately place his penalty in the back of the net on Saturday. And 
Uh, he's the man. Everyone knows it. There's no contention to go grab a penalty, even though we have plenty of fine candidates on the squad. Um, you know, he's he's the man. He's taken over from Lampard beautifully, and uh, he has no looked the last three penalties he's taken, which is unbelievable. I mean, if you gave me if you gave me ten chances, I probably would hit one of them, and I would be lucky. So, um, pretty uh, pretty amazing from. Uh, uh, from old Eden Hazard. You know, and while uh, Mourinho is un- undefeated against Redknapp, uh, Redknapp clearly won the day with his uh, his befuddled facial expressions and impassionate uh, upward, both hands shaking upwards to the sky at points uh, and uh, quick turnarounds when uh, disgusted with uh, the penalty call. So, uh, you know, that, that was the joy of the day for anyone, young and old. He uh he gets super super red in the face and it is uh really it's really funny to me I don't know why uh, his facial expressions he he does like the the horse thing where you go like <laughs> he does that but he reminds me of an SEC coach Steve Spurrier uh, very similar oh perfect yeah <laughs> horse like maneuver on his part yeah it is such class and um. You know, we we definitely previewed that, Dan. You were, you, that was your big thing that you were excited for this week. So I am just thrilled that you were that Harry uh, performed. He, he, ten for ten. Team. You know, he really uh, didn't let down. You know, didn't need any assist, and uh, you know, just went to the uh, the end himself. <laughs> Carried it forward. You know, I think one thing that you know has come out of the match afterwards, though, and uh, has probably. Uh, incited some fans and has you know made some people happy, made some people unhappy, is Mourinho's comments after the match. And uh, this was in a interview or kind of a conversation uh, reported first by Talk Sports. He was talking about how playing in Stamford Bridge currently is like playing in an empty stadium. Uh, kind of direct quote afterward, you know, afterwards was everyone knows how much I feel connected to this club and the fans. At this moment, it is difficult for us to play at home, though, because playing here is like playing in an empty stadium. The team starts playing like it's a quiet, soft game at home. It's difficult to get that strong start where the players, team, and fans at Stamford Bridge are all together. I was today looking around, and it was empty, but not in terms of people because it was obviously full that's what was frustrating. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, we can we can say what we want. I think the Brandon, the Chelsea supporters trust chair, Tim Rolls, had a, a pretty interesting response. You want to run through that? Yeah, uh, you know, Tim Rolls responded pretty much right away, and his analysis of the situation was that the uh, ticket prices are the main issue. Um, because Chelsea's demographics are, you know, middle to older age for the majority of the fans, and that's because, you know, the 18 to 25-year-olds are not able to afford the tickets. Um, The Chelsea versus QPR, which I can assume this would be one of the lower-priced games, maybe not because QPR is in London, but uh, the the ticket started at 47 pounds, and, um, you know, that's going to be quite a bit for anyone. I think you know we can relate to that in America. If you're a college student or you know even a high school student, if you're paying over fifty dollars for a sporting event, 
um, that's that's quite a bit. So his idea was maybe a younger, you know, 16 to 25 uh, year old section with reduced ticket prices um, to help encourage that. What I found interesting is, um, you know, Chelsea does a good job of singing is what it sounds like through the television since obviously we're not there. Um, but what they said is that everyone has to sit down. Uh, and that's the biggest reason is that there's no standing room in Stamford Bridge. And actually Chelsea FC sent an email out to a lot of fans saying, hey, if you stand up, like we're going to have to ask you to leave. We're going to have to um, you know, kick you out essentially of the game. And I think that that's what really ruffled some people's feathers. Uh you know, and that's why. Well, it, I mean, it's you're you're getting at two types of groups of individuals that want to want to go to a game. You have the people that are excited to to go on and cheer for a team, and then you have people that you know want to go because it's you know that they either are getting the tickets through you know work or through friends or through family, and they're going to enjoy the game. They're not going there to enjoy the the cheering or the rooting or the atmosphere. So I mean that's where there hasn't been an alignment between the fans and the Chelsea FC organization to find a strong middle ground. And I think you know we struggle in this because we're not you know there, we're not going to the games, and we're not uh, seeing it firsthand. But there's uh, you know I think examples on both sides where yes, he's absolutely 100% right, and I agree with Mourinho and. No, he's an idiot. This isn't. Ab- this is. This is absolutely the fault of the organization. Yeah, I. So I can directly relate to this. Um, I am a. I'm a Nebraska football fan, and I'm a graduate, so uh, I can. I can say this openly without any inhibition. Uh, Memorial Stadium's atmosphere is is very similar to this. It is a lot of an older demographic who you know enjoy the games. They are. They're smart people. They they know football. Uh, American football, and you know they they are not ruthless. They're not crazy people. Um, they don't stand and yell and and do the whole thing all all the all all the time. So uh, you you can definitely notice the home versus away support on TV. Um, and and since we're not there, this is probably you know not our area of expertise to comment on. But you can definitely, you know, there, it's it's a noticeable difference in volume for me. And, and it's a smaller contingent at away games, which pretty much says to me everything that you need to, to say. Um, obviously, if there's an email going out from Chelsea saying, hey, don't stand, don't really get that involved in the match, then, you know, Mourinho is going to have to go to, to bat with his own organization, which we've seen before. And sometimes he wins, sometimes he loses. But... The atmosphere has, uh, from what I've read online, and, and especially on We Ain't Got No History, the atmosphere has definitely declined if it's not a, a big European night or a big Premier League night. So um, I don't know what the answer is here without uh, going to some sort of terrorist format. I think that we could potentially look at some of the you know American sports uh, setups for this. You know, In college, there is a student section. So obviously you're going to have a younger section uh, that's going to be more vocal, more rowdy in general. And they group them all together so that there's a common theme and consistency. For example, I went to the Iowa State 
football game this weekend against Oklahoma, and everyone in the student section stands on the bleachers. No one sits down, um, and it's a lot more engaging, and there's more energy until you get destroyed by Oklahoma. But mm. the, other, the other thing is, so up here in Minneapolis, we have a North American Soccer League team, Minnesota United FC, and they have their um, Dark Clouds, which is their you know hardcore fan group, and they chant literally the entire game and stand, and they have them sectioned together. So like you said, I think this, this has been brought up to maybe try to have a declared section for that kind of fan uh, interactions and fan experience. And, you know, maybe that's something they can have. Maybe they already do. Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. But uh, definitely it's something that's seemed to have worked well here in America, and hopefully that uh, they can maybe use this as a case study and try to find a way to really um, just liven and brighten up the atmosphere at, at the bridge. You know, yeah. and, and there's no, there's a way to, to help support the going experience for both parties like there there are ways to enhance it and I think you know we all we're all going to pull from an experience of going to a college and and speaking to what it's like to have that student section which is as you know astronomically more fun in comparison to when maybe you go to the game with a you know friend or family member that has tickets in you know the seated section where you sit down and you enjoy it and it's still a fun time but yeah you don't stand the entire time it isn't as loud so I think we all hope that there is a, a happy middle ground. Uh, I thought it was really cool is, you know, one fan did reach out to John Terry via Instagram. And, you know, John Terry, captain, leader, legend, uh, was willing to, you know, reach back out via Instagram and say, hey, shoot me your number, give me a call. I want, you know, some more opinion or information on this. So just really, you yeah. know, classy. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, to, to Brandon's point, I think this is – is easily fixable. It, this is not like a, a conundrum of any sorts. It's you know whatever whatever needs to happen, you know, will happen. But the bigger point for Mourinho is that you know we have huge matches coming up, and if we're going to you know make Stanford Bridge a fortress, you know, like it was uh, his first stint, and and you know, it, it has been since, but. If it's going to be, then then these players, especially this group of players, really feeds off that atmosphere. They really need it, um, and you can tell some matches when when the atmosphere is not as as pumped up and loud that you know they're a little more lethargic. You know, they they just kind of pass the ball around the field. It's a little slower. You know, the energy is not always there. And, and this is, you know, Stanford Bridge is is so such an intimate atmosphere that you know when. You know, when the team is is flying high and everyone's excited, it's awesome. And, and when the team's not flying high and everyone's uh, kind of sitting on their hands, as we like to say in America, then um, you know the players the players aren't um, you know responding uh, to that. So I think that's the greater issue. And I think you know this this is all Mourinho. This is what he thinks about day and night. How do we make this thing the best possible thing that we can have, um, given our resources and and given our the state of the club? And this is it's important. It's an important aspect. I mean, he's been he's been more than um, complimentary of our away fans this season, and I think that he's just trying to get the same from our home fans. Yep, definitely a lot to get excited about. Uh, as it stands in the Premier League, Chelsea are still top of the table, 26 points. In second place, you have Southampton at 22 points. Manchester City in third after beating United today on 20 points. Arsenal 
back in the top four on 17 points, tied with West Ham in fifth at 17 points. And um, let's just skip down. Liverpool is in seventh on 14 points, who we play next Saturday. And then United, if you want to continue to talk about them, are at 13 points in 10th place. Um, that's th Those are the standings. You know, Southampton is still up there. West Ham's still poking around. Swansea's up there. Liverpool and Tottenham still struggling to kind of get over that hump. Uh, Tottenham won a, a rough game today over uh, Aston Villa. I, I mean, it, that was one of the ugliest matches I've watched in a very long time. Uh, very, very dirty. Referee lost control uh, midway through the match. Benteke got sent off for uh, what I assume for a person his size is about the lightest slap to someone's face that you can uh, that you can get. And uh, Harry Kane uh, inspires an otherwise terrible Tottenham side to, to victory. Yeah, thankfully, you know, we can get those games wrapped up out of the way, but they have just not clicked under Mauricio Pochettino. Um, even though they raided Southampton, it's totally been the reverse, you know, on that, and we've discussed that. But anyways, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, tweets of the week. This week, I uh, I reposted this on our Twitter account like we always do, at the kid Frankie. He had a tweet with a picture of all the different London clubs and where they have essentially moved to from stadium to stadium to part of the London and back. And there's only one team on this graphic, assuming that it's totally correct because I didn't double-check it, uh, maybe two it looks like, that have not moved, and that's Chelsea. You know, Tottenham, QPR, Crystal Palace, Charlton, West Ham, Arsenal, everyone has um, Fulham, done the jump, done the hopping around, MK Dons, but... Then there's Chelsea in the heart of it, and it looks like maybe a couple others that have stayed put. Um, do you guys think that's a pretty cool tradition that Chelsea can say that? Um, let me, I guess, real quick. The tweet said, "Was it one club, one home?" That's a that's a great little motto to have too. Well, and it goes it goes directly uh, into kind of kind of reignites that flame of. Uh, Stanford Bridge redevelopment. You know, there's there's so much history at Stanford Bridge, and you there there is a, a large section of people, and I would assume that the, the Chelsea supporters trust would have a, a big say in this as well. That you know want to keep Chelsea in their home. This is um, a spiritual home. This is obviously something that has been around for for quite a while, um, and. Uh, for for a lot of fans, it would be uh, an improvement over moving to a big new brand new stadium. I think it definitely plays into the the pride that history that Chelsea have in their history and being at Stamford Bridge. So, you know, it's definitely a cool thing uh, looking at it and kind of seeing this picture with all the the other teams that are in London. And like for me, there's obviously some logos here that I don't even recognize. And then that just goes to show you. Um, you know, the level of competition in London. So it's very exciting to be um, the top team in London and having such a rich uh, history of being at the bridge. So, yeah. Anyways, Nick, you want to jump into our second one? Absolutely. So our, uh, our, our friend Graham at We Ain't Got No History, he had a great tweet this week um, about Chelsea's habit of winning. Um, and... Uh, 
so the the gist was that um, Chelsea have been behind for 37 total minutes this season, and and that probably jumps out to you as absurdly low. It's probably even going to sound a little bit lower when you consider that we played 1,350 minutes this season. So um, the team uh, gets off to to quick starts and is able to hold leads for the most part, and um, you know to to only be down you know, less than 3% of your season is something very, very impressive. And and honestly, you know, we're, we're posting this on We Ain't Got No History. They have more stats than you can possibly comprehend. So go check all of them out. Shout out to Graham. I think it's exciting to see that Chelsea have been winning 60% of the minutes played. And then in second place is Manchester City at 29%. It's a huge drop. Um, and it was it was mind blowing to see that Chelsea have been losing for less than a half of soccer this entire season. <laughs> I thought it was actually worse that you know you had Everton who has been winning thirty six percent of the time, and then forty percent of the time they're drawing, and twenty four percent of the time they're losing, and that's just got to be a terrible roller coaster of emotions for their fans. Well, you think about every game starts off as as a draw. It starts off as zero zero. So for Chelsea to up the ante that quickly in matches is insane. Um, you know, it's not it, it's not usual for for a goal to happen in in the first three or four minutes. So uh, I think that stat is is very telling for how quickly Chelsea have started in most matches. And uh, you know, it's obviously impressive to see that you know they've only trailed for less than 3% of all matches this season. And it goes to show that Chelsea are being the aggressors in the game, and they're not just sitting back and waiting. They're saying, we're going to attack you, we're going to be putting a lot of offensive pressure on you, and that's how we're going to play. So there's definitely been a shift in style for Mourinho, who in the past, especially last year when he didn't have a complete team in his mind, they would sit back and hit more on the break, and I think that this kind of... Uh, puts to rest the fact that you know Chelsea defend more than they attack. Uh, so it's thrilling to watch as a fan, especially when they do it so successfully. So looking ahead, we have two more games this week. What is this, the third or fourth week in a row that we've had two matches? Yeah. Hey, no international breaks. So let's just keep it going. And, and on that point, let's do that. So... The next match is against NK Maribor. You might remember them as the Slovenian team that Chelsea thrashed two weeks ago. Uh, it will be in the Champions League, and this is, I kid you not, the name of their stadium. I cannot pronounce it. It's L-J-U-D-S-K-I, so maybe Yudski, and then V-R-T. There are no vowels in that last word, so if you are Slovenian or, or you know, speak it, Tweet us how to pronounce this, please. I have no idea. This game will be played uh, this coming Wednesday. And like I mentioned, the last time these two teams played, it was 6 nothing Chelsea. Drogba started off with a penalty kick and just opened the floodgates from there. So um, this time around, though, it's in Slovenia. We've seen Eastern European, Eastern European fans just be crazy. I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be very lively. Um, what do you guys have for predictions? Let's see. It's I guess I'll go first since the last two times it's been Dan and Nick. So uh, my prediction, I'm going to go two-one Chelsea win, um, but I think that it's they're going to squeak one out late. Mm, I I'm going to go with a uh, a two-two draw. 
All right. All right. I, I think we're I think we're gonna continue to play younger players. I think we're gonna you know try to develop some of that link up play. I think there's a little less pressure on us given the performance uh, at Stanford Bridge, not you know conceding the away goal. So I think you know now is the the time where we might get a little too lax. Nope, 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 nope. You guys are totally wrong. This will be a 5-1 victory. So with these predictions being out there and official, you know, thinking about it, you know, it's it's a Wednesday game, and then you turn around in 48 hours, 72 hours later, and play Liverpool on Saturday. I mean, that's another quick turnaround. So I think that if Chelsea get off to a lead, they are going to take the foot off the gas big time, and it will be a, a younger lineup. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see. My my only thing here is that. Maribor is no Shrewsbury town, so we're going to be fine. All right, all right. Strawberries well, are fe- uh, fields forever. Yep. We will we will keep that momentum going with Nick being the solid predictor that he is. So uh, as we were saying, Saturday we have what you probably would have thought would be a much bigger matchup before the season started than you do right now. It's against Liverpool in the Premier League. At Anfield. Yeah, and boy, my my Balotelli prediction has not gone well this season. <laughs> I have been way off on that. He looks terrible. Um, but but he has finally found the back of the net. So yeah. But he hasn't done it in the Premier League, right? Hasn't he only done it in cup competitions? Oh, uh, yeah. hey, you know, you, you gotta you gotta start somewhere. That is true. Uh, just so you guys know, this will be the super early game on Saturday, so don't stay out too late Friday night. Got to make sure you're up and ready to go to watch this one. Um, current form right now, Chelsea are four wins, two draws, no losses in first place on 26 points. Liverpool are two wins, two draws, two losses in seventh place on 14 points. Uh, you know, Liverpool were kind of the title favorites going into the end of the season last year, and then they played Chelsea in April. Yeah, this is uh, this is my one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, I love I love the back and forth between Chelsea fans and and Liverpool fans at Anfield. I think it's it's always an electric atmosphere. There's a lot of history between these two clubs. Um, no matter the record, I, I remember you know in years past when Liverpool were. We're struggling a little bit. They always give us a great match, um, and this is one that you know, even with Liverpool being on a a little bit of a, a dip in form from where we expect them to be, you know, this will still be difficult. This will not be easy. Um, Liverpool has a lot of quality talent. I don't like them. I don't like anything about them. But um, I think uh, you know, my my prediction for this match is is a two-two draw. Unfortunately. You know, I think the the challenging thing is uh, when you think about Liverpool is the the adage that you'll never walk alone. But uh, yeah, yeah, when you think about slipping, you can slip alone. <laughs> oh, and uh, what Liverpool has continued to do this season, and uh, you know, I think we're gonna come out actually with a a two one victory. No, I think we have seen the potential of Liverpool's attack and the frailties of their defense, and it reminds me a lot of Manchester United. And I think that, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to keep us out. And I think that they do have a ton of potential going forward. So I'm going to go 3-2 to two with the Chelsea victory. 
Um, remember, with this game, go ahead and write your score predictions in the comments on We Ain't Got No History. Uh, that way, you will have a chance to be entered in uh, for next week's podcast. We will give you a shout-out, um, and we'll see where we go with this. But we're just trying to get you know more people involved, and we're going to hear your discussions and you know, let us know how you think next week's going to go. Uh, big one against Liverpool. Even though they're in seventh, they are definitely, uh, w- you know, still one of the big six. So uh, we'll see. Going to need a strong showing from the Blues next week. Right, fellas? Absolutely. And Without for the record, question. For the record, I hope you guys are right on our Liverpool prediction. I, I don't want to draw that match. So I hope you're right. I hope someone digitally slaps you for that. <laughs> you know, someone's got to have the the uh, unemotional the pick of the week. So you know, Nick stepping in, and taking one for the team. So yeah, I I don't know how many digital slaps I need to get this game, man. I felt like I was really negative. This is Claude <laughs> has been not not my best friend. You and Mourinho have been going out and drinking, haven't you? Well, I wish that'd be amazing. All right, well. That'll kind of wrap up this week's episode. Week 10 is in the books. Uh, any final thoughts, Dan? You know, I think the fun thing to do when you think about the Liverpool match is to think about what new meme can come out of it, and I think it's going to be Balotelli-themed in some way, shape, or form. So start thinking. Let those creative juices start to flow because I feel like Saturday afternoon there's probably going to be a lot of work that we're going to have to invest into making the next meme come true. Yeah, I'm I'm more focused on Jose Mourinho's uh, dress for this match. If you remember back to last year, you know he was coming off a bit of the flu, decided to go full tracksuit, even with even with puffy vest, and uh, and obviously uh, Gary Neville's uh, interview a couple weeks ago stated you know how pumped up he was for this match because he felt like there was a certain amount of disrespect from Liverpool. Um, to Chelsea and and he he had his eyes set on this for for victory and obviously went and did that so um, I I'm intrigued to see if he goes if he goes to war again in the full jumpsuit and and to see how serious uh, the the squad is especially after a midweek Champions League match. It'll be interesting, you know, the tracksuit gives him way more mobility to jump <laughs> and fist yeah. pump into but the, the air. But the scarf, you know, is just. Has been so, so magical. It's it's classy, is what it is. He he just he has that uh that Portuguese flair. Uh, there are a lot of people apparently who got mad that uh, he was wearing a scarf without like an overcoat. Uh, so apparently a scarf with only a uh, a suit jacket is is not there um, is a, kind of a fashion faux pas. So uh, it's not a faux pas on the pitch. So we we can go with that. He looks good. It's fine. Hey, when you're undefeated in top of the league, you can do what you want. And that is what we do, Chelsea fans. We do what we want. And I can confirm that I responded to two different people that have sent us questions and ideas, so keep them coming. If you are really, really good at editing audio, let us know. We would love your help. And uh, let's see. No, I I think that'll do it, fellas. Let's call this week a wrap, and we will see you all next week after Liverpool and Maribor. Keep the blue flag flying high. Amen. We go hide away in daylight. We go undercover, wait out the sun. Got a secret side in plain sight. Where the streets are empty, that's where we run. 
that will do it for this week, Chelsea fans. But don't worry, the London is Blue podcast will be back next week. So until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter at London Blue Pod to keep the banter going. And send us your topics and questions at londonisbluepodcast at gmail.com. Keep the blue flag flying high, Chelsea fans. We